Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara Ongwili, Associate Director of the Madison Center. 2019 to 2020 marks the 100th anniversary since the passage and ratification of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which articulated that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. The 19th Amendment was the result of centuries of activism and contributions from many social movements to ensure through the highest law of the land a right through which all other rights could be secured. But as suffragist leader Frances Harper observed in 1893, I do not think the mere extension of the ballot a panacea for all the ills of our national life. What we need today is not simply more voters, but better voters." Despite the passage of the 19th Amendment, women of color did not gain their right to vote until 1965, and some suffragist participation also went hand-in-hand with problematic racism. Although there have been many advancements since the passage of the 19th Amendment, there is much to be done to improve the status of women, including, among other things, ending sex-based discrimination, improving maternal mortality rates, especially for black women, ensuring equal pay for equal work, increasing protections for the LGBTQ community, and addressing challenges faced by veterans and those experiencing poverty. For Constitution Day this year, our speaker was Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy, who represents the Second House District in Virginia, which contains parts of Prince William and Stafford County. She was the first public defender to ever serve in the Virginia General Assembly, and now devotes her time as an attorney advocate representing abused and neglected children in court. Delegate Foy was also one of the first African-American women to graduate from Virginia Military Institute. In this episode, we're going to play Delegate Foy's remarks, which particularly centered around the Equal Rights Amendment and what can be done in the Virginia Assembly. It will also include questions and answers from students. Take a listen. So good evening. You guys can do better than that. I said good evening. I am Delegate Jennifer Carolfoy, and I represent Prince William and Stafford in the 2nd District. I'm here to talk to you a little bit about the Equal Rights Amendment. So recently when asked uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg what she would like to see most happen with the United States Constitution, what change would she like added? And she did not quibble. She was unequivocal in her response when she said the Equal Rights Amendment. And so here in Virginia, we have an Equal Rights Amendment clause, but there is no federal Equal Rights Amendment. And so for those of you who don't know, what the Equal Rights Amendment would really do is to provide women constitutional equality. So what that means is that when women are discriminated against because of their sex and they sue in state court, like Virginia, we're oftentimes win. But if it is then appealed to the Supreme Court, women lose and we lose big and we lose every time. And that's because we don't have women's rights as human beings equal to men codified in in our United States Constitution. So we want that same type of scrutiny the court has to give to race, religion, and national origin 
we want that same high scrutiny given also to gender. And right now, we are treated as less than, not only in society, but also in the eyes of the law, because we are only given an intermediate scrutiny and not a strict scrutiny, which is the highest type of scrutiny that a government has to meet in order to justify their discrimination against a protected class. So I'll delve in a little bit as to why the Equal Rights Amendment means so much to me as the patron from 2019 session and also as the patron of the upcoming 2020 session where Virginia can become the 38th and final state needed to actually ratify the Equal Rights Amendment for it to become a part of the United States Constitution. So I was sitting in my high school JRTC classroom when I was watching the Virginia Military Institute decision on TV. And for those of you who don't know, Virginia Military Institute is one of the top military colleges in this country, and they do not accept women. They spent millions of dollars to keep women out of its doors, and they appealed the decision that would allow women to enter all the way to the Supreme Court. So I had not known until that point that I was relegated to second-class citizenship because of my sex. And I remember the sentiment being shared in the classroom by some of my male counterparts that, you know, women are biologically inferior to men. Our brains are smaller, we're naturally weaker, inferior mentally and physically. We can't run as fast, we can't do as many push-ups. And of course, we should not be allowed to enroll to VMI because we would be a distraction to men. So I remember hearing Justice Ginsburg say, and I'm paraphrasing, that women can do all things if given the opportunity. And I vehemently agreed. And I remember all of the men jumping up in my class and protesting. And it was at that time that my best friend walked up to me. He was gonna go to West Point. And he looked at me and said, I'm going to go with you when you go to VMI because I declared that I was going to go. And I was going to go because I was just as smart and powerful and capable as any man in that classroom. And he looked at me and he looked around the class and he proclaimed in front of all of us that he was gonna go to West Point, but he said, I'm going to go with you when you go to VMI because I want to be there to watch you when you fail. Because although we were friends, because I was female, I was still inferior. And so I went to VMI, and so did he, and another male from our class. And so when they got their head shaved bald, so did I. And when they put on a man's uniform, I would only accept a man's uniform. And for years, I marched, sweat, and bled beside thousands of male cadets. None of them wanted me in the room, let alone in their school. 
But when I tell you that I stand before you out of the other two men who went with me to VMI, as the only one to walk across that VMI stage four years later, then I'm here to tell you that sex discrimination is real. It is prevalent. And I have seen the effects and I have endured it for years. And so I was all too excited to actually be able to carry the Equal Rights Amendment in 2019 and again in 2020. Because if we wanna talk about really ending sex discrimination, if we want to have a real conversation about pay equity, where as a woman, I am paid 80 cents to a man's dollar, but because I am an African-American woman, that is 60 cents to a man's dollar. And you ask yourself, how is that able to happen when you have Equal Pay Act and you have a lot of equity legislation? And I like to remind people that laws can change as quickly as legislators change their minds. And Supreme Court decisions can always be reversed. But only when we solidify women's fundamental rights as human beings equal to men will we actually get our full constitutional equality. Everything else is just patchwork legislation, but it is actual constitutional amendments that give us teeth to make sure that our civil rights and civil liberties are protected. And so that's where we are, and that's what's at stake. Actual having equality codified in the Constitution, and to know that Virginia is right there on the cusp. We missed passing the Equal Rights Amendment by one vote here in Virginia. Other states, while we encourage them, are not even close. And I think it's only poetic justice for it to be Virginia. Virginia has been the battleground for equality far too many times. And we have been on the wrong side of history far too many times. We have fought against interracial marriage. We have fought against desegregation. We have fought against women's right to vote. So it is only, only appropriate that Virginia actually is on the right side of equality for one time, this time, in this generation, when we have this session coming up. Because as we've seen the pouring out and the outcry, it's not just about the Me Too movement. It's not just about the Women's March. This goes beyond pay equity, where if women are actually paid what they're worth, you can raise not only millions of women, but millions of families and communities out of poverty. It is not only the fact that 81% of Virginians support and agree that, with the Equal Rights Amendment. It is the fact that we have 162 million women and girls waiting with bated breath to stand in the sun with their full constitutional equality. 
And that is what's at stake. That is what's on the line. And that is why I fight so hard to ensure that we pass the Equal Rights Amendment here in Virginia in 2020. Thank you. So I guess I'll take any questions, if anyone has any questions. Yes. So great question. So the question was, uh, what else can be done besides postcards uh, to make sure the Equal Rights Amendment gets passed here in Virginia in 2020? So the number one thing I can tell you is to vote. It's that simple. We ran a nonpartisan effort to actually get the Equal Rights Amendment passed here in Virginia because it is not a partisan issue. It should be benign like transportation and education, but it's not. There are some people who do believe that women should be denied their full constitutional equality. Whether we are undeserving, whether we don't need it, there are so many things I've heard, such as I don't want women to be able to preach in the pulpit, so therefore I don't believe that women should have full uh, equity. I've heard things such as women should know their place, and that's the problem with society today, is that there's so many women working outside of the household, making too many decisions, and therefore uh, we need to go back to the day of old, and we can only do that if women are actually given their societal position, which is not equal to men. So if you have a problem with any of those statements, which I hope this entire audience does, then you will do what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is everyone turning out the vote on November 5th of this year, because that's what's on the ballot. Women's equality is on the ballot. Fair pay or equal pay for equal work is on the ballot. Ending sex discrimination is on the ballot. Universal pre-K is on the ballot. Affordable childcare is on the ballot. Paid family medical leave is on the ballot. All of these issues that's so important and prevalent and relevant to women and families and communities, these are the things that you're voting for. So if you want your voices heard, if you no longer want to be denied, if you want to be seen on this issue, then the answer is really simple. You show up on November 5th because there is only one place where a Jeff Bezos is no more powerful than the guy who is cleaning the floor at McDonald's. And that is at the ballot box. And that's why it's so important for all of you to ensure that you show up. Because once we get the majority, it's not a question of if we'll pass the Equal Rights Amendment. It's just about when. Thank you for that question. Any other questions? Yes. So the goal is not just for Virginia to become the 38th and final state to pass it. We're then trying to line up the 39th state, the 40th state, the 41st state. That's what we want to do. We want to ensure that all as many states as we can possibly get to pass the Equal Rights Amendment actually pass it. What would be amazing is just for Virginia to be that 38th and final state that's needed. For us to be the one that gets it over the finish line so it can actually be lined up for ratification into the United States Constitution. 
but there is a strategy for several states to pass it. And several states have bought it up in the last several years. And there's actually been two states that's passed it in the last two years. So there is a momentum that's happening. We just wanna make sure that we do our job here in Virginia and we make sure that we get it passed here in 2020. Any other questions? Yes. No, because we have a lot of legal strategy. I'm sorry, the question is, uh, once we actually get it passed here in Virginia, is there a fear that once it goes to Congress that the ratification won't happen or there'll be some type of holdup with the court or something of that nature? Well, whenever you're trying to make serious systemic change, there will always be challenges. The 14th Amendment was not passed easily. There were many years of, of court cases and challenges that were bought throughout Congress and throughout the Supreme Court. So whenever you are talking about fundamentally changing how we operate as a country, um, yeah, I can anticipate that there'll be some pushback. I can anticipate that there'll be some challenges to it, but I feel confident because our legal scholars, our constitutional attorneys believe that Two things, one, that the deadline that was actually placed on the Equal Rights Amendment is not valid, therefore it does not apply. However, assuming that it does, it's not even a part of the actual substantive language of the Equal Rights Amendment, it's a part of the preamble, which is not actually what the states vote on. So there is enough precedence here, case law that supports, that we feel very confident that once we get the necessary states, that after two years, it will be ratified. And even if there is a Supreme Court challenge, we welcome it because we wanna quell any other concerns that says that the Equal Rights Amendment is not valid, it should not happen, and women are not deserving of equality. There was another question here? Yeah. So, very interesting. All right, so the question is, with uh, Speaker Cox being a JAMU alum, he can, the, I can say the failure of the Equal Rights Amendment passing can be highly attributable to him. So how do I feel about that? So, it is hard for me to argue that the Equal Rights Amendment did not pass just for one individual because there had to be many people who also decided to not support because when that rule change was being brought to the floor, there were other delegates on both sides who had the opportunity to vote the right way, to do the right thing. And there was only one Republican who was willing to step up and put his neck on the line and break ranks and say, I am going to be bold and support women's equality, and that was Delegate Yancey. So all of the other Republicans, and I say Republicans because all the other Democrats had signed on to the Equal Rights Amendment um, and voted for the rule change. So for all the other Republicans who say with their mouth that they support the Equal Rights Amendment, I need you to say it with your finger and push the green button to say that you support this rule change to bring it to the floor so everyone can have the vote and the eight million people that are represented in Virginia actually get a say so. 
in what happens with this all too important amendment and that failed to happen. So you could look at it as if there was one man who stood in between 162 million women getting their constitutional equality or you can say there's plenty of blame to, to share because there are so many other people on that other side that could have done the right thing, that have mothers and aunts and sisters and daughters who would have benefited from having the Equal Rights Amendment, but they made a decision and we're all suffering the consequences of that. And I think that now they need to suffer the consequences of their poor decision. Yes. Yes, so the question is, uh, what's gonna happen um, as far as, let me make sure I have this right, what's gonna happen if people don't get out to vote, right? Okay, so it'll be a lot more of the same. That's what'll happen. So people have a tendency to be complacent. However, as we have seen in our current environment, in our state of, of politics, if you are not happy with what's going on, then your vote is your voice, right? So we're really good at complaining. We can all go on Facebook. We think if we like something on Twitter, then we have done our social activism, right? We have been a part of the cause, part of the movement. And that is also wrong, right? So what has to happen is that we have to activate and we have to agitate. Because one, power never concedes easily. Agitate, agitate, agitate. And that's what you have to do. I stood up on the floor of the house when the Equal Rights Amendment bill was brought forth. And I made statements. And I made statements after. And one of the statements I remember making to many Republicans was, I'm, I love to work in a bipartisan fashion. However, I will not compromise on women's equality. And I will not wait one more generation for this to happen. So I have given you all the inf information. I have armed you with the knowledge. But let me be clear. If I can't change your mind on women's equality, then I will change your seat. And that is a promise that was made. And that is why I started Virginia for Everyone. And we have worked diligently to make sure that we get the right people in the right seats who are going to do the right thing and support legislation that'll benefit all Virginians. And we can end a lot of the gridlock and the partisan politics that's happening. So if you want those things to happen, you have to find a candidate that you support, who believe in the issues that you believe in, who is principled and passionate, and make sure that you don't just write no cards or, or, or anything like that, that you're actually writing checks because campaigns cost, that you are making phone calls, that you're knocking doors, because this is definitely not a spectator sport, and that you're most importantly going to vote. Because this is an off-off year election, and we are going to have a low, low turnout year. So the math is really simple. If we stay home and they turn out, then they win. And then that's where you get more of the same. And so if you're asking what happens, having four mass shootings, I'm sorry, two mass shootings here in Virginia and not passing one piece of common sense gun safety legislation. That's what happens. Not passing paid family medical leave. That's what happens. Actually having people fight 
legislation that will protect our environment and ensure we all have clean air and clean water. That's what happens. Continuing LGBTQ discrimination. That's what happens. So if you want to end this narrative, if you want to stop this, then, you know, like I said, it's very simple. And I need you to have a plan on where you're going to be and how you're going to get there on November 5th. Any other questions? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the amendment itself, it says that you cannot discriminate based upon a person's sex. That is it. That's all it says. Many people will try to fear monger and they will try to incite fear by saying that through their interpretations they'll do a lot of other things that it won't do. But the language is very clear. Sex discrimination is not allowed. And some people will say, well, we have the 14th Amendment. We have all these other amendments that protect women. But if the 14th Amendment would have done everything it should have done, then we would have never needed the 19th Amendment so that women can vote and do all the other things that we do. So you need that specificity and you need those words in the United States Constitution to make it unequivocally clear that women are equal to men and it's there in our foundational document in the United States Constitution. Yes. That is a really good question. So what the term sex means, when you look at the litany of court cases, sometimes sex and, and gender are used interchangeably, sometimes they are not. So how the Equal Rights Amendment will actually affect transgender women, if, if at all, that is still unknown. So I cannot, because and one of the reasons is because it's up for court's interpretation. So the legislation says what it says, and it's actually the courts who interpret the language on how that legislation is to be applied, who it applies to, and what it actually means. So how I feel about it personally is, I hope it does apply to trans individuals. Because not only do I not believe you should discriminate against someone based upon their race or their gender, but I don't believe that you should on their identity either. So for me, it's a, it's a big old fat no to discrimination all across the board, period. Any other questions? Yes. That is a great question. I love that question. So the question is, what can men do? Some people would say, you all have done enough. So it's actually time to step aside and let the women now do. Um, but there is um, an effort, Men for Equal Rights Amendment. Um, and there has been an outpouring of support by men who also believe that this is very important. And so what you can do is, again, vote, support candidates that support this issue so you know that it passes. Um, think about running for office when you actually that time comes, right? Be the change you want to see. I absolutely, unequivocally believe in that. And I think that this is a huge platform, a big tent that is supportive of so many voices and so many people. And men are more than welcome and have been some of our biggest advocates as far as helping us get this passed and supporting the issue. So to get it passed in 2020, what can men do? Men can support candidates, um, that are actually supportive of this issue, support women, 
and show support for the Equal Rights Amendment by voting on November 5th. Any other questions? Yes. Sure. So that is, yes, <laughs> two questions. Yes. So um, one of the most difficult things to do as a legislator, I have to say, is convincing other people to care about other people, right? Especially when they don't come from where they come from, they don't look like you. Um, and oftentimes people that you will never see. So empathy is, I think, is something you're kind of either born with, you kind of have it or you don't. And so I spend a lot of my time in the General Assembly trying to get people to care about things that don't personally directly affect them, but to still care about it. I, for one, am, you know, I'm not, I don't fall into the LGBTQ category. However, I spent a lot of my time last session fighting for legislation that will end discriminatory practices that is allowed here in Virginia against the LGBTQ community. So I want to say that oftentimes it's a lot about people's incompetence or lack of life experience. I want to believe it's not malice when people don't support uh, issues that don't directly affect them, um, especially when you're talking about it impacting a protected class, uh, such as pe uh, people of color, communities of color, or disabled individuals, or veterans, or whoever may have you. So I like to be very clear, right? And when some people ask, uh, ask the question that was brought up earlier, like how will this impact you know, the LGBTQ community, I try to be transparent and say, I don't know, but I, I am hoping that it has a huge impact and it not only opens the doors, but it blows it off the frame to where we can move forward and say the discrimination against any type of protected class is unacceptable and illegal here in Virginia because that is the way that we should be going. That is the direction. And I just have a hard time with anyone trying to um, basically defend any other type of position. So the Equal Rights Amendment helps in that there is a lot of intersectionality there. So you do have the potential of it benefiting the LGBTQ group. You do have the ability of it helping Asian American women, uh, Latinas, um, African-American women, just women of color, period, who often bears the brunt of unequal pay, right? And so when you talk about fixing that one issue where the economic disadvantage that that causes, I think is one of the biggest civil rights issues of our time, right? So if you really wanna keep people repressed, the way that you do, do that is you keep them poor, right? And then you disenfranchise them. So there, there is an actual concerted way to have a system that keeps people repressed. And I think the Equal Rights Amendment is a step in the right direction to remedy a lot of that. So those are the conversations that I have. Because some people want, or some people believe that isn't the Equal Rights Amendment just a wealthy white women's issue? And I like to remind people, it's not. The people who will benefit the most is everyone but that class you just named. But people fight for this issue because it's the right thing to do. That's why. Like if you really believe that women are equal, if you believe that we are deserving, 
then prove it and pass the Equal Rights Amendment. It's as simple as that. So that is the dialogue, that is the conversation. And any, anything else or any other direction that people try to pull you is just a concerted effort in order to deflect and distract and to instill fear into what this issue really is about. It's about nothing else but my fundamental right as a human being to be treated equal to any man in this room. Any other questions? No? No other questions? All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Becca Evans, a graduate student in writing, rhetoric, and technical communication at James Madison University and a graduate assistant at the Cohen Center. Our digital guru, Randy Bednikus, director of digital marketing at JMU, does syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center at jmu.edu civic. Until next time.